nobody else I wanted to have on today. But our next guest, Miles Simmons, writes ProFootballTalk.com. But why I wanted to have him on in particular is because we've had him on a few times before. And let's go out to North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. But he's a national, he's a local kid done good doing national work. And we don't have that many local kids doing national work the way that you are. And so I wanted your perspective on it all. Hello, Miles. How you doing today? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Now, where did you watch the game? Were you able? You got like a you like a man cave? You take all this in? Are you in? Are you in Forio's lair? Like where? Where are you? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just in my living room in my apartment, and I, my, I have the lamest setup, dude. Like it's bad because <laughs> the way we cover things at PFT is you know there are four of us writers plus Forio. And so Florio is, you know, in Stamford, Connecticut, doing very important television things and preparing for those things that he has to do on football night in America. Mm-hmm. And the rest of us are covering the game. So usually between the four of us, it's like, you know, there are eight games or, or thereabouts, you know, for the one o'clock Eastern window. So I use my television and I use my little iPad to cover two games. So, of course, when the Browns are on, like Browns get the big screen, obviously. You know, I mean, like I'm, I'm, I'm still from Cleveland. I'm not going to not do that. And then I will also usually cover the two Los Angeles teams since I'm familiar with them. So, you know, if one's in the, what we have out here is the 10 a.m. window, then they go on the iPad. And then later for the four o'clock Eastern games, then, you know, the one that's on gets on the television. So yeah, that's, that's my setup. It's really not all that great. (laughs) It's incredible to me. You don't even have a two TV set. My, my living room looks like a B-dubs miles. Okay. Like, I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. But I, I just assumed everybody, had it at this point, right? I, and now I was one of the I was one of the pioneers on this. I've had at least a two TV setup for, for easily going on twelve plus years. I was I was very early on the TVs are cheap and you can make this happen. It's not like a it's not a crazy dream to have it look like this. And the only the only thing I thought was ever going to get in my way was getting married and then like you know starting a family and doing that whole ordeal. Uh, but the wife's cool with it, and my eight month old doesn't speak enough language to tell me otherwise at this point. So like we're like it's it's we're going miles, but you. You need to get on this. I, I do, and especially because I'm single and childless. So there's no one to tell me no. <laughs> it's more of a space issue, right? Okay. I mean, you know, living in Southern California, it's not like That's I true. have a mansion out here. So, you know, it's like yeah, well, if you're in the one-bedroom apartment, there's only so many places that two TVs can go in the living room. So I just I keep it to my one television, and then I got my iPad, and I'm sitting on my chair, and I do my work, and it, it works out okay. So what was your instant reaction as you, I'm sure, tuned in on the Odyssey app and heard uh, what I would imagine is only a friend of yours and Andrew Siciliano, you guys both being over in that, that neck of the, the country, uh, call a magnificent game. I don't know if you heard the final call or not. He was incredible in the entire game. But he had this awesome call, and that's, a, that's a, somebody that's very invested into the Browns as well. What was your reaction? Oh, it was pretty similar. I was uh, very, very excited. And I honestly, I didn't know that Siciliano, who actually is a pal of mine, and I saw him last night at the Monday night game, and I was like, dude, that is awesome. You lived out everybody's <laughs> dream that grew up a Browns fan. I mean, like, and, you know, as of course, we all have Jimmy Donovan in our thoughts and our prayers, and we wish him the speediest recovery as possible. But 
you know, if it's got to be somebody that takes the place, I was really happy for my pal Siciliano there. That was, that was awesome uh, to make sure that he had his reaction on that and that we all got to see it, too. That was pretty cool. Now, are you carrying the national media then, uh, the narrative that, um, you know, that no McCaffrey for them in certain parts of the game, no Debo for them in certain parts of the game, no Trent Williams for them in certain parts of the game? As if It almost felt like everyone came up with the collective idea that the 49ers should have been given some sort of pass for what happened. Okay, but the Browns started P.J. Walker, who was coming <laughs> off their practice squad, right? I mean, for every one of those, you can counter it. The Browns don't have Nick Chubb, right? The Browns didn't have Deshaun Watson. You know, it, it was messy conditions. Everybody had to play in it. But look, I mean, you look at what Jim Schwartz has done against Kyle Shanahan in the past. This is not necessarily a surprise, right? You look at what the Browns have done over the course of this season. This is not really a surprise. Now, the ultimate result could have been different, yes. And, you know, even if the Browns didn't win that game, I think we'd still probably feel pretty good about the performance that they put out there on the field, but they did. You know, how many times since 1999 have we seen things go poorly for the Browns at the last second? This was one of those times where the football gods were just smiling down on Cleveland, and I couldn't have been happier about it. Now, you, you mentioned the matchup between Shanahan and Jim Schwartz, and it was a big talking point in the pregame, and I think matchups are important in the NFL, Miles. I really do believe in that. But I don't want that to then diminish what we think about this defense moving forward. Is this the best defense in the NFL, or was this just a really good matchup for that one week, and then the other weeks we still have to maybe blend together to find out what they are? No, this is the best defense in the NFL, and I'm and I'm not just saying that because I'm from Cleveland, right? I and mean, that's a mm-hmm. that's a good opinion, and it's a valued opinion because of what they've done, not just against San Francisco, but you do you you look at the way that offense had been working, right? They hadn't scored under 30 points in a game all year, and you held them to 17. Like that means something, you know. I, you can talk about the conditions, you can talk about the injuries and all that, but Brandon Ayuk was still out there. You know, Trent Williams came back in the game. You know, they had uh, um, George Hill; he was still out there too. So it's not like you're talking about a team that doesn't have anybody just because Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel goes out. I mean, like, I understand how important those two dudes are. I, I think those two dudes are some of the best offensive skill players in the league. So I don't want to take anything away from them. But I think to discredit the Browns for what they've done against good teams, against good offenses, right? Yeah, the Bengals were a mess to start the season, but we know that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are really, really good. We know Key Higgins is really, really good, and he didn't have a catch in that game. You know, and you look at what they did against the 49ers, the lowest yardage output that Kyle Shanahan has ever had since he's been head coach of the 49ers. That's not nothing. So the Browns' offense may be a work in progress, but I think you know, it's rare to see – Somebody come in as a new assistant coach like a Jim Schwartz and just immediately fit the personnel like a glove, fit the personality of the team like a glove, and get out and make sure that that team, that those guys can go out there and play to the best of their ability. It, it's been a match made in football heaven. Yeah, Miles, you know how the convos move fast. Oddly enough, uh, we spent really a lot of today discussing a lot of different things around Stefanski, but on Schwartz, We'll get to Stefanski in just a second, I promise. But with Schwartz, uh, the rumblings today was like, well, is he doing such a good job that then he's going to leave us to be a head coach at, after this year, which is not something when they gave him the job we even thought was 
going to be uh, even amused as a possibility. Do you feel like Jim Schwartz would want another crack at being a head coach, or do you feel like he'd stay here, he'd stay with the Browns and see this through? I think that anybody who is in this position would like to have another crack at being a head coach, but I think the, the problem becomes, all right, well, you hire him, then who you're hiring is your offensive coordinator because – Let's be honest about it. It's still an offense-driven league. Mm -hmm. And if you are hiring a new head coach, then chances are you have either a young quarterback or a quarterback that you believe needs some sort of rehabilitation, if I can use that word. right? He's got to be able to improve, to make a jump in some way. And if you're going for that, then that's not really what you would want in Jim Schwartz. I think that Jim Schwartz should be one of the highest-paid defensive coordinators in the league. Right, but we saw what he did with the Lions. He had some success with the Lions, did, but it's not like he ever won a playoff game either. So, I mean, maybe you know, different situation. He gets with a guy who can really coach offense. He's got a veteran quarterback already installed. Like that might work. But I think the perfect place for Jim Schwartz, in my opinion, is somebody's defensive coordinator and you know somebody's defensive coordinator with a very, very good front four and a very, very good secondary. And, you know, look, that's what the Browns have. Where does Deshaun need to get now that we know that this defense is as good as we thought it could be going into the year? It's a tough question because if Nick Chubb were healthy and averaging five yards a carry as he has for his entire career, then I would think that if Deshaun Watson were a top 15-ish to 10 QB, then you'd probably feel good about the Browns making the playoffs. Now, but you don't have that, and the run game is now a work in progress. And Deshaun Watson has to be the kind of quarterback that is earning the kind of salary that he's earning. You know, mm-hmm. when you're making $45 million a year and it's fully guaranteed, there are certain expectations and you have to be able to meet them. It's the same conversation I've been having, you know, today kind of about Justin Herbert after that, you know, performance that he put on the field last night against the Cowboys. He's being paid to make throws, right? He's being paid so that if Keenan Allen has juked a defender out of his shoes and he's wide open down the left sideline, he's got to be able to make that throw. It's the same sort of thing you got to talk about with Deshaun Watson. Once you get that contract that makes you one of the highest-paid players in the league, you need to perform like that. So I don't know if Deshaun Watson is going to get there, but if the Browns are going to make noise and stay contenders throughout the entire season, that's, that's really what they need. They need him to play like a top-10 QB and elevate everybody around him. I, I don't know that he's going to be able to do it, though, unfortunately. And, Miles, you talk about that Chargers game last night. You know, Chargers fans last year, they started talking about Brandon Staley, right? And and it's an ongoing conversation. After every game, feels like Chargers fans want to talk about Brandon Staley. After every game, Browns fans want to talk about Kevin Stefanski. Is it unfair after a win like that to even bring up Kevin Stefanski and where he's been this year and where he needs to get to. Uh, yes, and I'll tell you what. I saw what Lima said today. <laughs> That's what I'm getting about at. <laughs> Stefanski. Yeah, I totally agree with him. You know, like because look, Stefanski has far and away been the most successful Browns head coach since 1999. Right? How many bad head coaches have we lived through? Mm-hmm. Pat Shermer. Oh my gosh. Mike Patton, who brought in Kyle Shanahan, and then they had to fire Kyle Shanahan <laughs> because he had the 15-point power presentation or PowerPoint, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Yep, yep. I know everyone knows what I'm talking about. So it's like we've, we've seen bad. This 
is what a competent head coach can get you to do, right? I mean, it, it was astonishing to me in 2020 when they played the COVID playoff game and still beat the brakes off the Steelers. But I was like, wow, if that's what they can do when Stefanski's sitting there in his basement with COVID, like, that means he's put together a really good program. And I think even though we've not seen that level of success over the last couple of years, you still see the remnants of where the Browns are not just, you know, a punchline anymore. You have to know what you're getting into when you're going to face Cleveland. And right now that means you're facing a really, really darn good defense. Right? You have to be prepared for that. And it also usually means a really darn good run game. But obviously without Nick Chubb, that changes things. So I don't understand why you would want to fire the head coach after you beat the best team in the NFL. No, the, the timing, what is that about? The timing of the conversation is weird. There's no doubt about it. But, Miles, like I, the way I look at it is I, I think about, okay, great, a defense is going to be part of our identity. We have this great defense. But Kevin's always sold us on him being an offensive guy. And in the Joe Woods defensive time, he basically ignored the entire defense. So I, it's weird. It's it's, if we want to go back to Brandon Staley, we can do this. Where Brandon Staley, defensive-minded guy, but you look at that team and it's like, well, the offense is the only good part you can talk about. Like it's it's weird. It's a weird dynamic at play here. I, I understand that, but I think at the same time he is the head coach, right? So you know, if he doesn't hire Jim Schwartz, then Jim Schwartz doesn't come, and mm-hmm. he still sets part of the agenda for every bit of the team because he is the head coach, and so the buck stops with him now. Because Jim Schwartz is so accomplished as a defensive coordinator and so experienced and also as a coaching experience, he doesn't really need to do very much to, you know, make Jim Schwartz, you know, do his job, right? It's the same kind of dynamic I witnessed out here in Los Angeles with Sean McVay when he first got his head coaching job and Wade Phillips was the defensive coordinator. I mean, Wade Phillips was head coach of the defense, right? Like, you know that Wade knows exactly what he's doing, and he did. And it helped the Rams get to the Super Bowl. So I just – I do understand certain things about the concerns. And, look, if we're being honest with ourselves, if Deshaun Watson doesn't show improvement and if the Browns don't win another game, then it's going to make more sense to start having that head coach conversation. But with where the Browns are right now, and they have established a defensive identity, they're working through things offensively, in which, again, when you don't have your best player on offense, it messes everything up. You have to reevaluate everything, right? You're playing without one of your best offensive linemen during that game on Sunday too, mm-hmm. right? So, these are all things that I think we just have to work through and process. And we're a third of the way through the season now. We're through week six. The Browns are three and two. Like, it's been so much worse. <laughs> and, I, and I understand, like, you can't just say, oh, be grateful for what you got sometimes. And if I thought that there was some real reason to think, like, oh, if you can't do it, then I would say it. But I, I don't really see that right now. Miles, appreciate you as always. Uh, I'm ha- I was happy for you for the win. Uh, happy for all of us for the win, but happy for you as well. Keep killing it over there at ProFootballTalk.com. We'll keep checking you out, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you later. Thank you. Absolutely, my friend. Take care. All right, good stuff right there with Miles Simmons on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. All right, come on back. I'm going to play it in case you hadn't. It's rare we go outside of the fan focus, but we're going to do it. I I want to know what you think with Lima. Is it wrong to not be convinced Stefanski is absolved of questions after just one game? Was it a wrong time, wrong place 
for that phone call in particular. 216-474 to below 92. We'll do it all next. It's overtime with Jonathan Pitone here with you on the fan. Miles on. I actually really loved the point he had made with the Ram situation. And it's one that I had gone to before, and it's just kind of one of those things I'm like, ah, I've forgotten about that. It's been a while. It's been a while since we talked about Joe Woods and, and everything that went down with Kevin Stefanski, but the same thing applied for Kevin Stefanski that is currently going on with Jim Schwartz. What he wanted with that defensive coordinator position is very similar to the setup that Sean McVay had in Los Angeles. In fact, you could make a legitimate argument that he just robbed and stole what Sean McVay was doing in L.A. and took it for his own. And it's not a bad route to go. It Really, it's a, it's a good script. But part of the script was the idea that with Wade Phillips, it was like, all right, you're going to be our defensive coordinator, but you're also going to be the head coach. We're, we're going to like basically be a co-head coach thing, but I'm going to go to the podium. I'm going to be the one that makes the final call and everything. I'm going to speak to the media. It will say head coach on profootballreference.com's page. But you're going to be the guy on the defensive side of the ball that they go to, that they trust, that they confide in, basically. And when it comes to Kevin Safansky, he tried to do that with Joe Woods as well. The problem with Joe Woods is Joe Woods had never been a head coach. Joe Woods had never managed that many people. Joe Woods had never been in charge that way. And if you listen to what some of the players that are on the team this year that were on the team last year, they'll tell you what they love about Jim Schwartz is that Jim Schwartz is very involved. Jim Schwartz is around them. Jim Schwartz is invested in their lives. Jim Schwartz just doesn't come in there and then, you know, hey, I'm here. Let's do this thing. And that was, to be fair, the impression that we got with Joe Woods. Ask Miles Garrett how it went with Joe Woods, the man he consistently bust tossed for weeks on end every single year that Joe Woods was here. Fascinating, though, is that Jim Schwartz has been a head coach. Jim Schwartz has been there, done that, got the T-shirt. He's been that guy, and he knows what to do. And so when it comes to the situation in Cleveland right now with Kevin Stefanski, the, the hang-up I have within the whole Stefanski, how much praise do we give him conversation? I'll get to what Lyme had to say in just a moment, but the whole hang-up I have is if he separated the defense from the offense in the way that I think he has, and I'm not in Berea every single day, but it was the blueprint he had last year, and it's the blueprint that he was going forward this year with. Well, if he separated them out where he's the head coach of the offense and Jim Schwartz is the head coach of the defense, but Stefanski does all the press conferences, and on his profootballreference.com page, it says head coach of the Browns. Well, guess what? Your offense stinks. Your offense is not good. They're 27th right now in DVOA. And I know it's not fair because Deshaun Watson hasn't been there for two games. And Deshaun Watson has only played three games in total. And if one of them looked good, the other two, whatever. It's been such a tiny sample size. But this this offense this year has looked leaps and bounds worse than what it did last year with Jacoby Brissett. Hell, makes me wonder. Oh, can we get a little dangerous here? Makes me wonder what this team would be if Jacoby Brissett was the starter this year. But that's not the lot we have. The idea and why you got Deshaun Watson is you wanted to see what Deshaun Watson could do and what this team could be with a great quarterback. That's the roll of the dice. Now it's crapped out. It's come up seven more times than you'd like. But that's the roll of the dice. Like, that's what you bet on. You bet on having a great quarterback. So let's pair them together. But when I'm doing my evaluations, and this is what I do, this is what I, I get paid to do this, okay? 
I'm sitting here, I, I evaluate where the head coach is, I evaluate where the quarterback is, I evaluate where people are. When I'm sitting there doing my evaluations at the end of the year, and I'm stacking this thing up, if we have the 27th ranked DVOA offense, like we currently do, and I gave you a bunch of other numbers as well, and we can get to those and, oh, I mean, fine, that's fine. I know you guys, you guys, you know, we turn over a lot of listeners here. You guys might not have heard it the first time I went through. We can do this one again. That's all right. That's more, that's fine. Now I need to pull it up. You see, the, the problem with that is when you say you're going to do that and then you don't have it on the ready, it sounds awful. We lead the league in turnovers on offense, 30th in yards, 29th in touchdowns. And the remark I had was that the Browns have 864 yards passing this year. Tyreek Hill is 814 yards receiving for the Dolphins alone. We are well behind the rest of the league in a lot of the categories that you need to be at the top with if you're going to be a playoff team and a deep playoff team. And I think that's got to be part of the difference here. What are we judging Stefanski on? Are we judging Stefanski on his ability to get a team rah-rahed? Because that's never been something he's been great at. He is not Tony Robbins. No one's ever confused him for one of those life coaches that always has the answer and comes in with the high energy and then tells you how in one quick session you can have the town home of your dreams and a vacation home on top of it. You just got to pay attention to me. We've never accused him of being that guy. We've always thought he is mild-mannered, very easy, simple, smart, but simple in a way. I don't know what I want to judge Stefanski on, but I know the offense has to be the heavy part of it. And if at the end of the season we look around and the offense isn't there and we're just sitting there saying, oh, the defense is this and the defense is that and the defense is so great, Telling you guys, you're not going to be happy with the results there. So even though it was a win for the Browns, I don't know that this was necessarily the biggest win for Kevin Stefanski. I think it helped from a culture standpoint because some people were questioning that. And two weeks ago, the culture looked like it was doo-doo after that Ravens game. So I think it helped from that standpoint. I will not say anything against that. I think it showed the guys in the locker room that you can beat a very good team. But I don't know. Right now, when you're thinking about it, is there a big difference between how that defense is strutting around like they're the cock of the walk or how that offense is strutting around? I don't know that the offense is feeling the same exact way. Do you guys think the offense is? Hey, if you're part of that offense, do you feel like you are, uh, you know, in your corner of the locker room, radio blasting? Back in one of those chairs, sunglasses on, cigar lit. Acting like you've accomplished something. No, no, you're not. You're not. There's no way you can be. You haven't accomplished anything as the offense. The offense hasn't won the Browns games. The offense hasn't done the, their share of the Lions work. We are approaching Juan Thornhill in Kansas City levels of what do you what is that what is it exactly you do here? Congrats! I know not a shot at Juan. Juan earned a Super Bowl. I'm very happy for him. But that defense wasn't the reason why they won the Super Bowl. It was worse than league average defense. When people think about the Chiefs Super Bowls, they think about Mahomes. They think about Kelsey. There was definitely one part of that locker room that was walking around like we are it. We are it. And there was another part of that locker room that was like oh. You mean on any other team with any average quarterback, we'd be barely 500? Okay, then. 
Chiefs defense looking better this year, by the way. Just going to put that out there. All right, here was Lima. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to give a big build up to Lima and then just never pay off on it. That's my bad. That's my mistake. Here was Lima earlier today. Uh, a condensed version. We'll have the full version, at least my version of the full version, and the fan focus coming up at 9 o'clock. Here we go. What I don't understand is how we've become this lowest common denominator thing. And I've been critical of Kevin. I said there are other coaches I'd rather have right now than Kevin. But I don't see the fruits of that today after we beat the 49ers and Ken lost his voice and we were having so much fun over the last Three days, I don't, or two days. I don't understand how that's condensed. It's distilled into taking calls about firing the coach. So if you guys want to fire him after that win, then I don't really want to take calls going forward because you're just going to want to fire him after every game because it's not going to get better than beating San Francisco with PJ Walker, at least until the playoffs. There's going to be no bigger victory than that. So what is the point of this? It's an exercise in futility going forward for these fans. I can't believe that we have gotten it down to the basic level of just wanting to fire the coach after every game. You're smarter than that. I thought we were a better football town than that, and I thought this whole thing was a buildup into something more special, more spectacular than just doing fire the coach radio after a win over the 49ers, a team that nobody thought we had a chance to beat going into this game. Here's where I disagree. I think you can do this. I think you guys have the right to keep tabs on where Stefanski is after every single game. Because that's what this season is about. It's about Stefanski. It's about Deshaun Watson. This is the year entering where we said he's going to be the head coach for 10 games or 10 years. You get to monitor this. And and one regular season win against the 49ers does not absolve Kevin Stefanski of anything. Hey, why are we celebrating one regular season win against San Francisco like you just won the Super Bowl? I'm excited we won. You're excited we won. That's great. Maybe what the caller's mistake was is it was the wrong time and the wrong place, and maybe he should have waited until after the Colts game to vent the way that he wanted to vent. That's fine. I understand that. Wrong time, wrong place. I get that. But the reality is, shouldn't we be demanding more? That's the first time Kevin Stefanski in four years has erased a double-digit lead? That's incredible. I'm happy you beat an undefeated team. I'm happy we de-pantsed Brock Purdy and made him look human. There's a lot of things to be happy about about that game, for sure. Uh, But you can't be the guy that says, demand more, demand more, we want more, we should raise our expectations and then turn around and act like we should be partying down Euclid for a regular season victory against San Francisco. That doesn't add up to me. That doesn't compute. So in the morning show, they might say that they don't want to have any phone calls or anything like that in relation to Stefanski's job. That's not the night show, though. That's not this show right here. I'm sorry. I understand his frustration. I, I really do. But that's no, you can call in about that. We should be keeping daily tabs on where Stefanski's job is because that's such an important part of this franchise. And it's how these things operate. It's very rare you have a guardian situation where Terry Francona, you you just think is going to be around forever, and then all of a sudden, halfway through the year, is like, this might be the last year. No, we talk about these things leading up to it. Brandon Staley, for instance, we brought about the Chargers. Chargers game was on last night. Chargers fans have been talking for a year now. What do you do with Staley? What do you do with Staley? We've been talking for a year now. What do you do with Stefanski? What do you do with Stefanski? That's why every game you get to talk about Stefanski. One game does not erase anything in the big picture for Kevin Stefanski. I think that's what the callers were trying to get to. At least that's what I'm getting to. 216-474 to below 92. 
Is it wrong to not be convinced Stefanski is absolved of questions after one game? We'll take your phone calls. Fan Focus at 9. Daryl at 9.20. It's overtime with Jonathan Beadle here with you on the Fan Focus at 9, Daryl Ryder at 920. I mean, it's funny to me, the idea that... Uh, listen, Lima, Lima got a lot of support in this statement, okay? I, I, I'm happy for him that he was able to get that off his chest. I'm happy for him that he was able to express how he felt about it. I just think it's interesting that you can have someone be so like, I want more, I demand more, I expect more. And then after a regular season win, we can't then come to the table and say, wait just a second. That, that's all I'm really trying to get at here. I, I respect the take. I like the take. I really do. I just, it's not for me. It's not my take. Stefanski's on probation for me. And if you want to call up and talk about Stefanski, I got no problems. Because I feel like that's where we should be having the discussions. And that's what we should be discussing on a weekly, daily basis, as many times as you want to. Because that's what the whole season's about. It's about Deshaun Watson, and it's about Kevin Stefanski. And it's finding those two pieces. Do you want to call up and tell me you think he's gonna, he should be fired after the, the big win? Then, okay, I'm not going to agree with it, but I'll definitely hear it. And you want to tell me that his part of the, the, the ball, so to speak, the offensive side of the ball, hasn't lived up to their side of things, and that's where there's some, some question marks for yourself? Well, then you probably listened to the first hour of overtime with Jonathan Peterlin because there's some questions I have as well. The defense is great. That's not what Stefanski's, that's not his bread and butter. He doesn't have his fingerprint on the defense the way he has it on the offense. So we're winning these games with the defense, not with the offense. You get to call up and question when P.J. Walker, I know he's a backup quarterback. I know he's third string. I know he's XFL. He also had a 50 passer rating in the game. He was not good. He was ranked dead last in pro football focus for quarterbacks. There were 30 of them on Sunday. He was ranked dead last. I'm not saying they're the gospel, but I'm saying it means something when you're dead last in that category. I just, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that we can't have the conversation. I appreciate the passion, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that. I don't think it's wrong to not be convinced Stefanski is absolved of questions. After a regular season game. It's a regular season game. You want to tell me uh, after the postseason, if they make it to the AFC title game and they vastly outperform everyone's expectations and they make it the distance and Deshaun Watson is playing great, that people then need to shut their pie hole because he, he coached awesome and is going to be here for the next 10 years, then okay. But it's one game. I loved it. It was great to see, but it was one game. 216474092. Maybe I was too level-headed in the whole discussion, though, because, uh, you know, wasn't freaking out after the Ravens game, not freaking out now. I, I, I hate it that I'm, I'm let it, let's see it play out guy, but that's what we are with Stefanski. But it's okay if you say, hey, the offense wasn't good. They're 27th in DVOA right now. He's supposed to be great at offense. That's what I have a problem with. I'm okay with that. Perfectly okay with that. All right, Peter, I'm right, next. Peter. Hello, Peter. I'm next. Hello, Peter. What up, JP? Love the show. Love you, man. Thank you, Peter. Um, okay, so I think you're absolutely right because I was thinking it yesterday. Um, I don't think it's there's wrong with uh, wrong to be critical of the head coach uh, after a big win, especially against the best team in the league. Because I, I, I've been saying it for years, Kevin Stefanski, eighty percent of the time he's amazing, twenty percent of the time he stinks because he panics at the wrong time. Okay, hmm. case in point. Okay, 
Brock Purdy throws his first interception of the 2023 season, and we go three and out. We intercept the ball. We're on the 49ers' side of the 50. Mm-hmm. First play is a jet sweep that hasn't worked all year. Okay? Yeah. We get penalized on it. We go back. We're first and 20. We run it up the middle. We get stuffed. We throw a short pass that's incomplete. Then we get sacked, three and out. We don't capitalize on a gift that was given to us in the third quarter of a close game. Okay? That's, it happens every week. And every time I bring it up or I call the radio station, I bring it up, uh, it's always, well, the players didn't execute. It was the, If it had worked, you would be loving it. It's like, okay, if the execution's poor, who's the offensive coach that's coaching the execution every day to prepare them for the game? Because, yes, he's the head coach, but he's calling the plays. It's his system. Okay, He doesn't want to give up control. Yeah. So, the execution is partly on him, too, because he's the one coaching them. I love Kevin Stefanski, but I hate him because he's <laughs> amazing, but he's 20% horrible in the worst spot, okay? That's kind of how I, don't I am, how too. Many times, yeah, yeah. I, just yeah. Don't, I don't know how many times we have a lead with, like, two and a half minutes in the game, and before Nick Chubb was hurt, it, it happened in 2020, it happened in 2021, it happened in games in 2022, where you have the lead... It's late in the game, and he says, well, statistically, they're stacking the box. It's like, who cares? Burn the timeouts. Run Nick Chubb, because, yes, he might get stopped for one run or, or one yard or two. He'll break one. Now we don't have that luxury. And you can see now that he doesn't have the luxury of Nick Chubb. He's a five. He's a 500 coach. Okay, he might be just and that's, above and that's, 500. Peter, that's the other part that's of this. Part. And, and thank you. I do appreciate the call, as always. Thank you. The good words. Uh, it's a bad echo there. Um, he's a 500 head coach. You're not wrong. Like, like we're defending him as if he's accomplished something here. You're defending him as if he's been to the postseason every single year. He's won one playoff game, and I'm supposed to sit there after winning one regular season game and and genuflect at the altar of Kevin Stefanski. Peter's right. I, I feel very similar to him. I think 80 percent of the time he's really good. 20 percent of the time you're left scratching your head, and maybe that means he's better than most. Maybe, maybe it means that. I don't know. I just don't know that we need to be giving him this this benefit of the doubt after every single game. No, every single game we should be judging and we should be looking and seeing how he is. And if that means we do a month and a half or let's say for the rest of the season, let's say we do four more months of will the coach be fired radio? Well, first off, we're going to have Deshaun Watson games to talk about anyway. But if that's what this turns into, it's a very important part of the club. Yes, if that's what it turns into, it's what it turns into. If that becomes your biggest question mark for why you're winning big games or not winning big games and trying to figure it out and trying to trying to toe that line, then I guess we have to go down that road, don't we? I'm not shutting the door on it. But that's why the morning show is not the night show. We have different uh, set of rules, apparently, and that's okay. I, I'm more than welcome to, for you guys to call in and say, hey, I think the X, Y, and Z about Stefanski because I'm constantly wondering these things. I almost wondered if they would have gone even harder in the paint in the reflection of Stefanski after that game, where you really did win because the defense was awesome, but the offense didn't do their part, and you did have question marks, and you did need X amount of things to go your way. You needed the rain. You needed the penalties. You needed Brock Purdy throwing up on his shoes. You needed a lot of things to go your way. What can you carry over from one game to the next? Was it really that big of a culture difference? I saw a culture difference in the defense when they came out and they were ready to fight the 49ers in the pregame. Uh, but was it that big of a difference if you're on the offensive side of the ball? The, the part of the ball that Safansky's directly in charge of and has been the entire time he's been here? 
I, I, if I, I caught him slack last year. I caught him a lot of slack last year because Jacoby Brissett, he got to be a top five offense at certain points. And I said, you know what? I, it, he can't help it that Joe Woods is vomiting all over his shoes. He can't help that. That's out of his hands because that's the setup that he made. I said he's doing a good job on offense. I said he's, he's really dialing it in on offense with a quarterback he's not supposed to be able to dial it in with. So you know what? I'm going to go to bat for Kevin Stefanski in that respect because he's doing a really fine job in that area. I can't turn around and then when the, the defense looks like the 85 Bears and looks exceptional, I can't turn around and then say, well, he coaches the whole team. No. 216-474-092. Doesn't work for me. Uh, listen, we're going to move the fan focus. You guys are hot about this one. I want to stay with this one. We got Daryl Ryder at 920. If you're hanging, hang tight, I promise. We'll, we'll get you guys coming up on the other side. You guys are passionate about this, and I'm passionate about it as well. It's not often that I... I have these type of thoughts where I can just flat out say, I think Stefanski should be on probation to me. And when it comes to understanding the angle, I appreciate the angle. I just don't get it, but I know I'm in the minority here. I know it based off the reactions and based off of what I've seen with you guys earlier today. I know I'm in the minority, but that's all right. Two one six four seven four to below 92. It's overtime with Jonathan Beadle here with you on the fan. 